and welcome to another episode of VoiceWorks Sound Business, a podcast all about audio and the people who make it. I'm Jim Salverson and today's podcast is another one of our five things I learned from audio episodes and a very different one to the last one we made with Roger Cutsforth a few weeks back. If you've not listened to that, by the way, do go back and listen to that because he had some great tips and advice for working in the industry. Today, my guest is Pete Donaldson, creative director at the Stack Network, an independent award-winning podcast production company. Pete's career to this date is fascinating. When I first met him, he was known as Cheeky Pete, the wacky radio sidekick on the Alex Zane Breakfast Show. Since then, he has launched one of the most successful football podcasts in the UK, the Football Ramble, and is part of the team that launched the Stack Podcast Network. More on that shortly. As you will hear, and as Pete confesses in the podcast, his mind shoots all over the place. And goes at a thousand miles an hour. But it is fascinating to hear the lessons that he's picked up along the route of his career to date. You'll also hear in this podcast, briefly and in the background, from my dog Ruby. Who knows virtually nothing about the world of podcasting and radio and audio. So you can mostly ignore her. But let's get stuck into this one. Five things I learnt from audio with the brilliant Pete Donaldson. Pete Donaldson from the Stack Network. How are you and where are you? I'm good. I'm in a cabin down the end of my uh, garden in Essex and it's basically where I do my worst and best work. (laughs) (laughs) Does what you refer to it as depend who you're talking to? Is it like a cabin sometimes? Sometimes it's a man cave. Occasionally it'll be your professional recording (laughs) studio. Well, I I am dead set against men men caves, man caves, because I, I, I find them... Which is problematic, uh, the old, uh, as the as, as the as the patriarchy, or in this case, the patriarchy would dictate. I think um, I think it's problematic. But my partner is well up for creating the cabin uh, that is my man cave because everything I buy from the car boot, everything I buy online, everything I buy from like Japan and places, she's insisted that they're not allowed in the house. So by virtue of the fact they have to live in the cabin, so I've created a man cave almost. Through proxy, I suppose, Sarah just will not have my tat in the house. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It's a good technique to get in your own space. Very good. I guess so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're going to look back at your career a little bit today, Pete, and it's been right. an interesting one as well. As I mentioned in the introduction, it's kind of been a journey from when I first met you as a wacky bonkers radio breakfast show sidekick to nowadays the brains behind a production company with millions of listeners tuning in every single week. I have to say, when our paths first crossed back in those early XFM days when you were part of the Alex Zane Breakfast Show, Mm. and I don't think you'd mind me saying this, I don't think I had you pegged back then as a kind of management overseer Mm. network... I don't know what the word I'm looking for. I guess trailblazer would be a good description. (laughs) I'll take that. Yeah, when did that kind of (laughs) crystallise in your head, do you think? Um, well, I think back when me and uh, you were working uh, sort of together, um, you were up in Exeter, Manchester, and I was down in uh, Exeter, London. I think I was tasked a canny few times of uh, getting the stand-up comedian and, and radio presenter Jason Manford in a studio for his breakfast show because mm. he was down south doing uh, a remote broadcast because he was doing it out of 10 cats or some kind of TV show. And the amount of times we'd start the London breakfast show and I'd forget that I had to set Jason Manford studio up <laughs> and therefore the XFM Manchester breakfast show was at least 25 minutes late and I and I do think about those days and I sort of go I let you down there Jim I let you down 
<laughs> so XFM, Absolute Radio, Football Ramble, Stack Network, we're going to touch on all of that today as we pick up your five lessons that you've learned from your time in audio and radio. Now you've picked these five lessons, so we'll go through them from lesson number one right the way through. What's your top one? First one would be, and, and it applies to every aspect of everyone's career, I think, managers, people with responsibilities are busy and they want easy wins and it's probably nothing personal. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hardly a mantra, more a, a word soup, but my position on XFM when, when the breakfast show sort of broke up and I was found on doing my own show, I never wanted to do my own show, I always wanted to be the sidekick because it's just, mm. you know, you're just linking stuff together. Here's a song I didn't write, bang, you know, <laughs> I'll be back in six minutes to talk a bit more, you know, never, that never sat, that never really got me excited but I did enjoy being part of a, a bit of a crew bit of a group it was, you know it's a lovely job to have as you well know mm. when you when you're in your sort of late 20s and and I started my career relatively late because I was in I was working for a local government sort of quango in London for for, for for five or six years so so I started when I was about 26 but managers are busy and I would take the fact that when I was on weekend early breakfast which it's about as early as it is it's the overnight show it's like the 2 a.m till 6am slot four hours of mm. underwhelming post nightclub indie for for, for for drunk people basically. no one's eating <laughs> breakfast at that time are they exactly <laughs> no yeah i mean early breakfast is a dead definitely a misnomer <laughs> but, but but that was the slot i was doing saturday nights and uh friday nights and saturday nights which was my first like solo radio show so it was it was valid and useful experience but I was in my late twenties and I, I I just didn't want that slot. I, I just didn't I just didn't want to do that job because I wanted to hang out with my friends and get mm. drunk and stuff like that. I later realised that I reckon I'll probably get away with about three pints before you even notice that I'm uh, drunk <laughs> <laughs> on the radio. So if I'd known that, I may have possibly had a better life. But with, as soon as I have a couple of drinks, my accent takes over and it wasn't wasn't conducive to a radio show. Um, so I wanted to always get off weekend overnights because I was just like I, I, I've done two years of this I need to get off and the PC the um, the, the programme controller at the time you know he had no interest in taking me off taking me off and putting me anywhere else it's nothing personal it's just a really hard slot to fill no one wants to do it so therefore he's not going to make a headache for himself when he's got a hundred different other headaches to deal with and take you off just because you say you deserve better like there are DJs that have been doing on XFM and other places the overnight show for like 15 years and if you're comfortable with that life and you can handle it and you can jimmy up between your, your family and, and friends and, and, and social life more the power to you but managers they they will always take the easy option out because they they because they have lots of different issues and lots of different um, situations they have to deal with. And I'd sort of later on. Now I'm I'm creative director over over at Stack. There's there's three people who who, who run the company and and loads of um, support staff as well. And we are in a situation where we make a bit more money than other companies because we are easy to work with. We turn commercial messaging around really quickly, mm. and we are responsive. And mm. those three sort of things in our game are really important because the people who are selling ads who have got a bit of, you know, they've got five, ten grand kicking around in their budget at the end of a, a quarter, do they want to spend hours and hours and hours trying to find a place for this money? Or do they want to go, right, who's going to turn that into a bonus for me really, really quickly? So that's always kind of, I think we've 
overachieved in certain places because we are responsive, we are good at what we do, uh, but fundamentally we make things very easy for our partners, our producers, our presenters and everyone we work with because we've been doing it for quite a long time. So people are busy, they want very easy wins, so make it easier for them and you, in the long run you will enjoy yourself. But if you think you're getting off weekend overnights without a struggle, <laughs> you've got another thing coming personally. It, it's a great lesson because you're right, people do like working with companies and organisations and people that are easy to work with. I want to flip that on its head slightly what you've said though and look at it from a point of view as a boss because like you say you have the senior position at Stack now so you have people that are working underneath you. Nobody wants to be the boss that makes the easy choices that kind of goes for the simple option rather than maybe the creative exciting option. So how do you balance that in your head? I think my position at, at, at Stack I don't work with too many people that closely I'm, I'm i'm not a great delegator and i have a very exacting standard and and, and style i think when i get excited about a project i almost wholesale take it on myself and that's not me giving it the big licks i'm just i'm just terrible at delegating and terrible right. at managing my own workload never mind someone else's but that that said i pitch in where i can and and i am slightly uniquely uh, positioned in, in in the company because i can do everything apart from the stuff that makes us all the money, the the the, the actual uh, deals, the holistic direction of the company. In 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 Stack, that's really not my bag. John Teague is the uh, CEO, and he basically looks after the entirety of the direction of the company. He's always the one who's got his. Uh, he's, he's so open minded when it comes to new ideas and new ways of doing things because in our industry, in in, in podcasts, like we've kind of grown up around it, and we've we've sort of gone through the dark ages and now you know there's a bit of money sloshing around and stuff whereas i'm have to concentrate on our different uh, projects and different shows and different things that i have to work with and also i'm co-presenting a lot of the shows john's uh, kind of a bit free to kind of like look at what the next thing is and unlike me who one of my greatest kind of failings is that i get quite new things i'm, I'm quite suspicious of and I'm always like, there's always going to be some bugger at the front door trying to take money off, off a company. There's always somebody who's got a new way of doing something. Hey, jump onto our new way of doing Patreon. Jump on our new way of doing podcasts uh, and we'll make a load of money and stuff. And I'm a bit more cynical. But John, to his credit, he's, he's just way more open and way more kind of into taking a look at new products, I think, and, and, and new ways of doing stuff. So he's the, he's the one who sort of points the, points the um, company in the right direction. And I'm very much kind of like, I have my little projects. Mm. I sometimes work with producers underneath me on certain shows but in the main I think my, my projects are I'm exec but I also edit everything as well so I'm not great at delegating I happily sort of say I may I'm probably a bit easier to work with because I don't actually have to tell anyone off at any points because I'm like I can just tell up and go hey guys does everyone have a nice time blah blah blah, blah. <laughs> but, but fundamentally when something goes wrong you know I'm not putting people's heads on you know, chopping blocks and shouting at them so mm. I have such an easy ride at stack it's brilliant I love it <laughs> Let's move on to lesson number two. What have you got for us? You can be emotionally invested in a debate without getting shouty. <laughs> Interesting. So is this from a professional or is this from a content perspective? And I'm thinking specifically about Football Ramble here, which you've been doing for many years. And mm. football debate is often something that goes quite quickly to shouty debate rather than passionate. So yeah. what area is this coming from? Oh, no, I think, I mean, I think you look at the careers of people like you know, the true Geordie or KSI, you know, shouting works, shouting <laughs> bloody work, being an Arsenal fan TV, like all of these football vessels, like emotion, it's an easy way, 
it's basically yeah like emotion is is kind of like a an opt-out of actually having a, a proper opinion about something really so in the football ramble like the, the more shouting the better on the show i think and the more okay. kind <laughs> of heated the bit but i mean back backstage when you're kind of trying to figure out what you you know you're doing with 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 the product i get very excited you know i'm you know what i'm like though i'm like you, you listen you've just listened to the last 10 minutes of me waffling on like i start in the middle of a sentence and try and eat my way out of it chomping at words here and words there and i'm i don't have a very ordered mind and so my sometimes in the past and i have worked on this and i think i'm kind of getting there somewhere i would get so excited about the idea and when someone else's kind of enthusiasm for the same idea or it wouldn't even be my idea it'd be someone else's idea but someone's enthusiasm someone else's enthusiasm about that idea wouldn't quite be there and i'd get so excited about the idea that i'd get not aggressive but like just animated and shouty mm. and kind of almost upset that people couldn't see what i could see because i wasn't able to get it into words properly so for me the changes that i've made in how i conduct myself i think i'm getting there is just taking a step back you'll always have space to speak if you want to speak and if you want to drag it back to a particular conversation in the middle of a meeting you can do it. just shut the for a bit and just calm down yeah <laughs> and formulate your words and help people understand your vision or understand why you're excited about it and that's a very personal thing because I, I again I don't have a very odd mind I do get excited I, I feel energized when I'm in a meeting I feel energized when I'm speaking to people when I'm meeting people but I think getting needlessly excitable mm. w- without actually explaining why I'm excited uh, has been a bit of a struggle for me o- over the years and 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 you know my my partner uh, Sarah is, is also someone who's, who's who's felt the brunt of that a little bit and uh, she's very much of the opinion that you know take it down just explain yourself use your words Donaldson like (laughs) it's kind of yeah so she's been an education let's say (laughs) but that's still important right because people are always going to respond better to enthusiasm and energy and passion than they are Mm. with a logical argument because it's just the way people engage with stuff so there is a balance you have to find there yeah everything's a balance isn't it but you you know you can't just go 100 100 miles an hour screaming Mm. because you're really excited about you know something you're going to do on the live tour and you know no one else has kind of bought in quite yet you kind of got to be a bit political and a little bit more rely on people's what they're into I suppose I yeah. think and you got to be a bit cuter and watching the other people who you know work in my business John and Luke how, how they're sort of operating in certain areas I'd sort of go oh yeah that's how you get things done that's how you get people excited about something so it's it's uh, it's it's a really enriching kind of experience working at Stack because w- there's so many different people Charlie Katie Temi like we've got like I think 10 10 people working for us at the moment in, a, in an office in Highbury and it's just I just love being in meetings because I, I just like the vibe I like the vibe wow you're the only person I've ever heard go I like being in meetings That's I hate a... Zoom ones they're rubbish oh yeah okay cool, cool. <laughs> good glad we cleared that up uh, right your next lesson I like this one being a child of the 80s is quite useful when tech breaks down yeah it's a quick one but it's a, but it's one that I experience a lot of the time so like I I present some of the shows I produce a couple of the others and you know and, and but we've got a studio so a multicam 5 cam 1080p actually 4k automatic switching mixing device basically like your capital radio your absolute you know basically those kind of those cameras that automatically switch to each individual mm. person when they when they speak and we've had that for 4 years and because of the slight kind of cottage industry that makes this tech behind the cameras and behind the camera switching in, in particular, I'm because I'm the most technically minded in the group in in stack. 
we kind of worked every now and again with engineers, but because they're you know they're, they're on subscription services or they they weren't quite as un- they didn't have a vested interest in making our product work every time. I've got a vested interest, you know. It's 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 my you know it's my dividend that fails if if we don't make a success of this company. So so I just basically took over the tech side of things, and so I am forever kind of dealing with just stuff falling over really like like tech falling over and the, something i've noticed about some of the younger people who, who i work with and outside the company as well and I've, I've spoken about this at length in different areas but like because they grew up in a certain generation they things don't generally break all that much these days mm-hmm. like apps kind of just work everything's in the cloud you barely ever lose data anymore when things go wrong they go really wrong they don't kind of go half wrong so so people kind of expect tech to kind of just work and me and you have both worked in a in a studio environment i'm proud at how often our studio goes down because it's not very often and we never <laughs> lose audio and we rarely lose video and so like one of the again one of the things i'm most proud of of stack is that we don't lose anything we we, we, we don't lose audio we don't lose video when it's when it's recorded in in our studio and and that's something that i've kind of like built in layer upon layer of redundancy and backups just so that we we, we don't lose anything and you know jim i, I don't you know studios fall over quite a lot like mm. things mess up quite a lot and so like talking to like some people who outside the company and inside the company who are a bit younger like they'll sort of they'll sort of go oh this thing's gone wrong and I'll say well, okay what's gone wrong and they'll sort of say well oh it's um it's it it it, it says it, it, there's an error message like it won't record anything I was like right okay what's the error message the disk space is full like the, the disk's full and I'm like well Right, because people are used to using the cloud, and there's always space, and you know, you just throw more money at it when something goes big, when something goes over the over the limit. I'm just like, well, delete something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because we're children. I, I, I don't know whether you're a child of the '80s, but I'm yeah. certainly a child of the '80s. Things just never worked, and if you wanted them to work, you really had to work bloody hard to get them to work. It's a and really so, like, interesting point of view that it's connected to to that idea of. Growing up in that era, you had to make things work. If you wanted them to work, you had to fix stuff. You had to pull tapes out of a tape player when it mangled it up. You had to reload your ZX Spectrum because there was a blip in the middle of the tape, whatever it was. Because I've always associated that, and I notice exactly the same thing with the younger generation. It's kind of a, this isn't working, someone help me with it, rather than this isn't working, what can I do to fix it? And I've always associated that with just almost almost like... um, this isn't the right phrase, but almost like people are always being looked after by someone else. There's almost a lack of responsibility taking because there's a senior figure that they can run to and problems get solved for people more than they necessarily did in our generation. But it's interesting that you associate it with the tech problems and the kind of the early learning there. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we've we've always empowered uh, people who've, who've worked with us. We back every decision. Like, if they make a decision that that. that isn't great it's unfundamentally our, our, our situation and our, our problem at the head of stack so we've never had an issue with people kind of stressing out and just sort of going oh my god i can't you know uh, um, someone will look after me and stuff like mm. that because we'll always empower them to, to do what, what needs to be done and think laterally but that's something that i have noticed on the tech side of things being someone who's sort of fought and squabbled with tech all through my career really and and my life really that kind of not, it's not even lateral thinking. It's just having the the guts to sort of break something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think I think people are very scared of tech, and they're they're scared that if they touch it, it will break. And fundamentally, there's nothing you can really do to a lot of stuff to break it. I know I've tried so many times to break <laughs> stuff, and and things are so much more resilient on a, on a fundamental machine code level. They they just are. And and so I always sort of go just 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 about and find out. Like just 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 
think about with it. If it breaks, I'll fix it. Don't worry about it. So that's always something that I've tried to sort of say to people. But it's something I've certainly noticed that, that I'm glad I grew up at a time that I grew up because we will, you know, we'll, we'll press control, alt, delete, and we'll turn it off and turn it back on again, give it a shake. But people, younger generation, they just don't have mm. experience of things going wrong. So, like, yeah. when it does go wrong, it just seems more seismic, I think. Right, let's move on to number four. Now, most of your lessons that you've picked out, I've got notes on, but I haven't got anything written down for this one. So mm. I've got no idea exactly where it's going to go or what you're going to say. So what's your fourth? I mean, just understanding that some people you are going to work with have to move through the world in radically different ways to you, effectively. Uh, I mean, I'm talking about gender and, and race here in, in many okay. ways. We made a change in the ramble, the football ramble, about two years ago. We, we saw the product as being you know, four white men in a room approaching their 40s as, as being increasingly anachronistic and, 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 and it didn't represent what we wanted to be and what we wanted to do. And so, like, it was important to bring new people in. And the difference in how, uh, you know, uh, Kate Mason and, uh, and Jules Breach, uh, two presenters who, who, who can present the ramble, the difference in how they are perceived online and how they... And to a less extent, uh, Vatushina Rantaraja, um, who's also a host on, on the Ramble as well, is certainly a, a, a pundit. Um, how they have to move through, navigate the online world and beyond compared to how I can as a white man. You know, I, I did know this, but I possibly didn't know how how deep and how careful one, one has to be. My my partner uh, Sarah is a radio presenter and a, an actor, and she, you know she's been doing it for you know a good fifteen years. She's she's been in gainful employment at Absolute Virgin, and you know done this and that. And I mean the grot she gets sent. <laughs> I mean like just the grot she gets sent, and 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 the nonsense that uh, you know Jules and Kit have to deal with on on a daily basis, and, and Vish uh, online is. I mean I knew it, but. It was never on my patch to a certain extent because, you know, the, the the ramble never had to deal with the kind of viper-tongued shit that, that was afforded to them when they joined the team. It was a relatively big change because we'd, we'd been going for like, you know, 11, 12 years at that point when we made the change, maybe a bit longer. I, I'm terrible with dates. And the crap that... And it was crap. It was just dog-whistly racist, dog-whistly sexist, misogynistic bullshit on the places where you could talk about the football ramble a couple of years ago, however many times that they, they would sort of state for the record that this is not what it's about, but then they would go on to say something that suggested mm. it was exactly what it was about. And, and and also I think they sort of felt like they that we were responsible for their childhood a little bit because like they'd grown up listening to the ramble and the ramble had changed slightly, even though you know we're, we're all of the people who were on the ramble that they loved 10, 15 years ago are still on the ramble. So it's not like you know we've taken anything away. But the project was getting, you know, the project was getting a little stale and very fragile as well. You know, we're, we're four people of advancing years. My health problems are long, <laughs> long detailed on the ramble and all of the podcasts I do because I'm always, I've always got a poorly tum tum or a bad head or something. Um, so you know, we we needed to bring bring it uh, up to cord a little bit, and they've been fucking, they've just, just been amazing. They've been enriched my uh, how much fun I'm having on the ramble, and, and you can you can tell it shows, but people saw it as an affront <laughs> to their nostalgia a little bit yeah. and you know indicative of you know if you're a, one part of the political spectrum the political spectrum i don't really have that much time for they're throwing words like you know walk and snowflakes and all that stuff around all the usual hits and and it was a bit of an eye-opener for me because like you, you kind of expect that you you have a certain 
fan base that uh, yeah. the, the vocal minority are all right, but the vocal minority, you know, really ramped it up uh, in certain in certain sectors, and and it just it just struck me as being a bit bit off for me, um, and and so. Some people have to move through our world in radically different ways. You know, J- Jules and Kate and my partner, they have to post, you know, if they want to post a picture online, they've got to think about how that's going to be perceived. You know, they've got to think about how they dress. They've got to think about who to talk to, who not to talk to, who to ignore, who to engage with, lest, you know, they find themselves, you know, being being followed from place to place. It's And, and, and companies much bigger than ours don't do enough to protect uh, people, in my opinion. How many radio stations I've worked with, they'll have a go, but and TV stations as well, they don't do enough to protect their protect their their their, their, um, their talent. They they just don't do enough, in my opinion. So yeah, so understanding that people have to sort of have have a very different life to mine. I shouldn't needed it uh, to be reminded, but uh, wow, yeah, it certainly did. The the crap that they have to put up with online compared to oh Pete, you got that mm. point wrong about that card of City midfielder last week. It's like, I don't care, mate. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Is that part of the puzzle in terms of getting? a mix of gender and race involved in audio from a radio and a podcasting point of view. I mean, we still know the podcasting world particularly is dominated by, as you say, 40-year-old white men. Mm. There was the recent survey that came out from Addison Research that proved that point, even though there was some growth in kind of ethnic minorities. Mm. But is it about... I mean, I've I've been asked countless times in various scenarios, how do you make the audio space a more equal opportunities place is that is that part of the puzzle is making it feel like it's safe and how do you do that i mean from my perspective and it's not it's not a, uh, an opinion shared by anyone at, at stack necessarily but you know we have tried our very very best and i think you know we're i think we're 60 percent female I, I think in the in the production production space and but but the issue issue being that we're fishing in a very established pond when it comes to hard skills like editing production uh, generally we're fishing from a pond that is uh, is bigger than us, effectively, and it's 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 your radio audio production, and we can do we can do a lot, and we've basically sort of skewed towards away from the hard skills, which can be taught, into a place where we just find like people, young people who are um, responsible for their own little kind of part of the part of the puzzle. They don't shy away from when things go wrong, you know, putting their hands up and stuff like that. So for us, we value who they are as people rather than what their hard skills are because otherwise if we just if we just fished from the from the pond of, of production staff mm. who are available in radio or television there'd be no black people at the company there'd be no there'd be barely any women at the company because the bigger companies just just don't they just employ a certain kind of person in my opinion and fundamentally when you start out and you'll know this as, as well as I do you know I was start, I, I started out as work experience and I got a job on breakfast doing the Alexander breakfast show and I think before that something a couple of other shows and I was on 50 quid a day and I you know I took out loads of graduate loans I took out uh, you know I got into a load of credit cards I got into a load of debt loads of bother that way but fundamentally if if you are paying that small amount of money to someone who's got a full-time job 50 quid a day even if it was back in 10 years ago and I'm not saying war is me I got I, I got out and I, you know I managed to make a bit bit of money here and there you are going to find a certain kind of people and it's going to be white middle class people who who can be supported externally to to what you're actually paying them so like the diversity of your 
of your staff is is comes from how much you pay in in my opinion and that's certainly my experience and my uh, opinion about it uh, and you have to be kind of relaxed about hard skills because there are barely in in the pools that we're fishing in there's there's barely any diversity in my opinion you, mm. you look at all of the post blm uh, surveys that the big you know global and, and, and bauer did like it's it's atrocious it is atrocious let's move on to your final lesson that you've learned from audio and i can 100 percent relate to your final one what is it people remember the weirdest things <laughs> <laughs> i think you have an idea about what you're putting out into the world you have an idea about what you're uh you know what you've said in a particular show but like you know three years later someone will come up to you in the street and sort of go hey pete do you remember that thing you said i'm like no i didn't want to know what i said <laughs> yesterday uh, and they'll remember like the weirdest stuff like when we were in um, the Ukraine for for, for, for the Euros uh, back in the day, before you know everything's obviously gone on there, I I recorded like I, I couldn't I, I was doing a um, I was doing the radio show basically, and I couldn't fly out when everybody else flew out because I had to do a couple of radio shows. So I recorded like a couple of like voice messages to play out on the show, like I'd got to Ukraine and just got into some terrible trouble uh, because my character on the show is that I'm an idiot, you know what I mean? And so so they played them out on the ramble and it sounded harrowing because I am an actor, <laughs> turns out. And um, honestly, like some 12 years later, people still ask me, what happened in Ukraine? What happened? And it was just me about because I couldn't go, I couldn't fly out when everybody else flew out, and uh, yeah, I just, I just, I just told them that I, uh, yeah, I, they, they just thought I was, I was legitimately in a lot of trouble. <laughs> Doesn't that come from just really knowing your audience though? And some people will look at it and go from an analytical point of view, and they'll look at who they're targeting and the types yeah. of things they relate to. And for some people, it's just a gut and it's just a natural way they communicate, or that it just fits somehow. But you only get that kind of connection from content or that kind of engagement when you really get your audience yeah 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 i, yeah, I, I think so and, and and i think we're you know i was sort of our, our peg was always you know a, a comedy show that happens to be about sport happened to be about football and stuff and so like we we wanted to build a show that we would want to listen to ourselves so yeah i i, I think so and, and we were of the same age range as everyone else and yeah Pete, it's been awesome to chat to you after all this time and congratulations on the continuing success of The Ramble. How long has it been going for now? Uh, 15 years this summer, I think it was. Yeah, 15 wow. years this summer. So uh, Podcasting before podcasting existed. <laughs> something like that, yeah. So uh, it's been fun. It's been emotional and, 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 and unfortunately for my sanity, goes from strength to strength. So <laughs> I just have to work that bit harder, don't I? <laughs> well, lovely to speak to you and for... Pleasure, more on The Ramble and more of the great podcasts produced by the Stack Network. You can find all the links in the podcast description. But, Pete, thank you very much for sharing your five lessons. My pleasure. Have a good day. Thank you very much for listening. That is it for today's Voice Work Sound Business. There are loads of episodes in this series, so whatever your interest in audio, there should be something that appeals to you from doing great host red adverts to should you make video with your podcast to what is in store in terms of social audio. Have a look through the back catalogue, pick what you like and get stuck in. And if you want help with your audio strategy, whoever you are, then get in touch with VoiceWorks via the VoiceWorks website, voiceworks.ai.